Hello, this is Tony Johnson, and this is FinOps Pod. I'm Joe Daly. Hey, and I'm Stacy Case, and this is FinOps, FinOps Pod. Pod. such a jerk you said I could say it. <laughs> this is FinOps Pod. <laughs> And that's how we're starting today, folks. <laughs> so, Joe. Yes. What is the topic today and who did you speak with? I spoke with Anthony Johnson, cloud business manager from Box, about unit economics. Okay. So, a couple things. Unit mm -hmm. economics, I know, is a trigger word for you. It is. So, we'll have to get into that. But Anthony Johnson who, if anybody's in the community, also sees STJ Johnson, please tell me that the whole conversation is really just about what his name really is. You know, every episode we start with the, hi, I'm, say my name. And this say is... my name, say my name. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. Okay, go on. Yeah. You start out with uh, my name is, and this is Ben Yeah, so I kind of tricked anthony tony tj into saying what his preferred name is by saying you just go ahead and say hi say your name and this is finoff spot and he did it and he called himself tony johnson so i think tony johnson is his preferred wow but he says he's very open he's very flexible if you want to call me Anthony, a lot of people call me Anthony, people call me Tony, people call me TJ. It's a very flexible naming convention, so to speak. All right. There, there you, you have go. it. <laughs> Mystery solved. We can end the podcast. Done. And on yeah. next week's podcast, what is Joe <laughs> short for? <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe what Joe stands for. Okay. So we're talking about you and economics. So right. I joke. Kind of. This is a trigger word for you. Knowing you as part of this community, anytime mm -hmm. someone said unit economics, it wasn't just an eye roll on your part. It was like a full body eye roll. Like, it was, yeah. unit economics. And like, I hate this. I don't believe in it. Or whatever it is that you would say. You were very frustrated with the term unit economics. So before we talk about the podcast, can you explain what your frustration was with this term? Let me read out of the good book, Cloud FinOps by J.R. Storment and Mike Fuller. As we open the book up, you got to flip through all the good parts that have quotes from me in it. Jeez um, Louise. <laughs> yeah, true story. If you walk up uh, to me with your Cloud FinOps book, I will autograph the pages that I'm quoted on for you. So that'll, that'll be a fun, Is there fun thing to do. there more than one? I think there are two or three. Oh, there's like a whole chapter at some point. Anyway, chapter 19 is managing to unit economics, colon, FinOps Nirvana. And it's a good chapter. It explains the concept. I'm not against the concept of unit economics that you link your cloud spend to something valuable. Mm -hmm. My complaint was, and I, I had a lot of good conversations with Mike Fuller on this, is that as a leader of a centralized FinOps team, I have so many products and solutions and metrics, and there's so many different expenses that go into those solutions and metrics, not just cloud, that it wasn't really valuable to me to have a unit economic for each one of those. 
I didn't manage to 800 different numbers. I thought the way it was explained might have been misleading to the person in my shoes. However, if I was an app team, or if I had just one or a few solutions, like I thought that'd be great because I would be super concentrated. I would have so much more data to be able to build those metrics into meaningful things. I personally don't think unit economics is the answer to every single FinOps question out there. And there are folks that do think that is the case. I think there's a lot more details and steps and thought processes that go into those sort of things. And it's okay. There's room for disagreement. FinOps is large enough that we can all not agree on things. That's okay. To quote Rob Martin, whenever there's a disagreement or a question about FinOps, the answer is it depends. So I think even with unit economics, it depends. A hundred percent. Now, Mike Fuller, if he was here on the phone with us, he would. Uh... Oh, hold on, Joe. We have a caller. We have a caller right now. Oh, uh, yeah, caller, Mike Fuller. What, what, what do you have to say, Mike Fuller? What would you be saying right now? Hi, I'm Mike Fuller. And I think Joe Daly is absolutely correct on everything he's saying. That is probably the worst Australian accent and Mike Fuller impersonation I've ever heard. <laughs> Hi, I'm wearing my golden bedazzled AWS certification jacket. You better stop while you're not ahead. <laughs> Mike Fuller, he would say, Joe, you're taking this far out of context. And that's not what we meant at all. And to his point, they are updating this chapter in the second edition of the book that JR and Mike are currently actively working on. They're updating this chapter to make me have fewer things to complain about. I mean, that's probably not the only reason they're updating it. I would imagine they're also updating it based on, you know, I don't know, the community and comments and just the maturity of the FinOps practice itself and evolution, you know, that type of stuff. But probably a significant thing is so you would stop harassing them as well. I think all the updating with new technologies and lessons learned, yeah, that's a side benefit. Those get in the book too. But it's really but yeah. the Joe Daly effect. Yeah. But I reached out to TJ because he did a presentation at FinOpsX and a Chalk Talk on the topic. and. It was fantastic. It really addressed a lot of my concerns and complaints about how unit economics gets presented. He breaks it down. He shows that there's a path. And, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe I was doing unit economics all along when talking to him about the maturity curve of it. And you don't always get to that. How much revenue do you generate per cloud cost? But you find meaningful things to do. And there's a whole maturity learning curve through it. Cool. Well, mm -hmm. I'm actually really glad that you had this conversation with TJ because having kind of these two opposing views, and it's almost like he probably was trying to convince you of something that you have very strong feelings on, obviously. I'm excited to hear this and see what happens. Joe Daly interviewed TJ Johnson, and you can't believe what happens next. So I'll start it off by saying I have been a unit economic skeptic throughout my FinOps career. Not that I don't think they're valuable. It's just that I didn't think they were as applicable. My statement on that was, is that as a centralized FinOps team lead, there was no one number that I could use. I have hundreds of applications I'm supporting, you know, all those application teams. It seemed to me that it would be far more useful for them, but not as useful for me. I also feel like people 
have leveraged unit economics as a get out of a tough answer, easy um, answer. Uh, someone will say, hey, how do I do this? And someone will be like, have you tried unit economics? And I'm like, well, I, I want to see more meat into that answer than unit economics. Now, having said this, you presented a breakout session, a really good breakout session in Ballroom B at FinOps X. And that presentation converted me wow. a bit. I was like, oh, I was like, because you addressed all my skepticism about it. Fantastic. Yeah, you, you did a great job of showing the growth of, you know, you don't just, you don't just right out of the gate, divide it by revenue and, and cost by revenue or whatever. But let's get to that in a bit. Sure. Not only did you do a, a breakout session at FinOpsX and a chalk talk at FinOpsX on unit economics that were both phenomenal, you've been working with a working group inside the FinOps Foundation and recently released an intro to unit economics. All that to say, you are very deep in unit economics knowledge. So for the listeners who are not as deep in unit economic knowledge, can you help define what is unit economics and kind of talk about the process the working group went through in defining unit economics? Yeah, absolutely. When we first started off a couple of months ago, we did not have one definition. I think we had five or six or seven different definitions because it was really kind of a, a call out to say, Hey, how would you define unit economics? And then we would take all of the input and try to come with a solution, right? What does it mean? And how can we together and collectively look at defining a single definition? And I think that was really difficult early on because we all found kind of our, our own little definition to be applicable to us, right? And so when we talk about what that means today, we look at the different models that we put together. I think one of the words that kept standing out in almost everybody's definition was value to the business in some way. And so when you look at the actual definition that we put out there, it's really not just unit economics, because unit economics is a universal concept. You can use it for marketing purposes. You can use it for sales purposes. But when you talk about FinOps, we're narrowing that down to cloud unit economics, right? Because when you do these calculations, it's typically some cloud infrastructure number that gets added to the process in some way. And so when we look at this, we say, okay, how are we going to define it? And so we talk about a system of profit maximizations based on objective measures and how well your organization is performing. That's the basic kind of viewpoint that we said with not getting too technical with anything, but trying to make it a broad concept. And we all agreed to this because, like I said, each of us had our own perspective on it. Just for example, my perspective was, you know, we talk about a cloud unit economics calculation. So I'm going to put it in terms of numerator and denominator. You're taking something and dividing it by something else to come up with a value. The numerator is really the cloud measurement of whatever you're going to have. And then the denominator is either an engineering value measurement or financial value measurement or business value measurement. And the outcome of that calculation is your cloud unit economics value measurement that you're going to use to manage some part of your business perhaps, or to give you insight into kind of what you're going to do. And then you take that to the next step further and you say as an organization, hey, my KPI is going to be a cost to serve a customer. I want it to be less than 5% of my overall whatever. But that gets you to this whole 
separate KPI conversation for me. You know, KPI, it's a defined target. It's an end kind of thing. Mm. I look at it more as what I call a KMI. And a KMI is a key momentum indicator. And, and key momentum? Key momentum indicator, yes. Ooh. So when you look at this, you know, you have a visualization. Most visualizations in FinOps will give you four pieces of information. You can give you awareness, like, how am I doing? And then if you want to look at it further, you can say, how do I get better? Which is really optimization stuff. And you can say, am I actually getting better? And that's really the KMI piece. Because you can define over a time series whether this particular measurement is getting better over time. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to then make incremental decisions to adjust to a more positive outcome of what you're looking for. And the KMI says, okay, have I reached my goal, right? And that's the last one. Have I reached my goal? So with those four opponents in visualization, how am I doing? How do I get better? Am I actually getting better? Which is after the fact of the optimization. And then have I reached my goal? So within all of that, you can define a cloud unit economics that really helps the business. Now, again, it's either going to be typically engineering focused or financial focused or business focused. That's a good explanation. These sort of measurements in the cloud play more into that DevOps mindset where the constant data is flowing in and feeding back into the decision-making of the application team, the finance team, the business. So that's great. But before we get too deep in there, Sorry, did I go too deep there? <laughs> no, no, we both did. It's great. But I, the thing that I really appreciated about your presentation was that you showed a maturity model of how to start. Because I, I think a lot of folks may not be able to get to cost per transaction. You know, huge enterprise may not be able to flow all that information down to a cloud team sure. or an app team. But there are steps of here's how you start. You don't come up with cost per transaction on day one. Uh, can you talk about the maturity model that you presented? Yeah. What's great about that is, is it changed from the time that I had presented into the stuff you're going to see in the white paper. And it, it mm -hmm. changed because I first started with a crawl, walk, run. And then based upon feedback, I added a pre-crawl. So the pre-crawl is, you know, I'm not doing anything in uni economics. And as we discussed on the summit in August, we looked at some of the patterns of adoption for unit economics. And we found that 50% are not doing anything yet. And so they would fall under the pre-crawl, right? They're not even thinking about it, or there's some issue with acceptance in the organization, or they don't have the right data or whatever, for whatever reason, they don't have it. And that's why the pre-crawl started in, because I was always of the opinion that Somewhere in the organization, some form of economics is taking place. Uh, and it may not be you, right? And that's one of the first things that I recommend for people to do is search out allies that are doing this already. And typically it's going to be somebody that's providing, usually from finance, uh, usually it's providing some data to a business unit owner on how they're doing, right? And that becomes a potential measurement for you to include cloud information infrastructure, especially if you're a cloud first or a cloud native organization and you're focused on that as a path for your future. Go ahead. So find the dashboard that the team's using, that the leader of the team is using, and then find out who makes that dashboard yeah. and go talk to them. Yeah. And talk to them and start looking at how you can contribute to what they're providing. And honestly, if it's meaningful or not, you know, that's what you want to figure out as well. 
because it may not be meaningful to them. And then you say, okay, great. I know this is already happening here. Let's see what else we could do that would be meaningful for a business unit order or for finance or whatever. That's such a beautiful point. Yeah. So we start with that. Then we go to the crawl, right? And so the crawl, you know, we were talking about distinctions between unit cost and unit economics. And what was the distinction between them? Typically, unit cost is part of the calculation for unit economics. And so there's, a, there's definitely a difference, right? And so unit cost was the crawl phase. Now you've gotten to your calculations, whether you're taking a blended rate off of your invoice and you've got your unit cost or you're mapping it to the actual contract and you can have an unblended unit rates where you have different rates. So you need to figure out how it's deployed and how you're buying it and then figure that out. So you've got your unit cost. That's the crawl part. So if you're able to produce a report around that, great, congratulations, you're a crawl. And then you start looking at the next phase. Walk was really what I call the unit cost integration. Well, now you're applying that unit cost somewhere within other calculations. It's not really a unit economics kind of decision-making measurement. It's really to help you understand and create more awareness around what's going on in the organization. An example would be, I'm taking my forecast by unit and I'm converting it to a budget based upon the unit cost numbers that I pre-calculated. And that allows for things to happen better. So I'm integrating the unit cost into this process. And so therefore I, I would say you're at probably a walk phase. And then you move to the run phase where you have more about cost to serve. So you were talking about cost per transaction as a cost to serve model. And that's when you're really integrating that with another measurement. So now you have two measurements coming together that are now giving you this new calculated number that says, okay, whether you're doing well or not, or whatever your KMI or KPI around that is going to be. And that's something that you now track differently. So it's not the unit cost piece. That's how you start separating it. At least in my mind, that's how I started separating it out. It makes it easier to understand the progression of where you're at. So if you're using a unit cost, integrating it with another measurement, you're doing unit economics. So these are all kind of things that I've experienced in different levels, maturity, working at Accenture and Citibank and other companies, and really trying to help people understand what their journey is as well. So on your experience, what were some of the first unit economics that you, that you measured and how did they mature? So the crazy part is I have a strong finance background. So as an accountant and chief accountant, I would produce those. And we're talking a long time ago. I'm old. So we're talking about the eighties, right? At this point. So I was doing that, not knowing that there was a term for it, so to speak. And so you get involved in these processes and, you know, once you start creating one, what's really interesting is that you now have a demand for more because you're like, oh, I can get that number. That's really cool. What else can you do? Right. And so I became kind of that specialist for the management team that was able to create new kind of metrics that the company hadn't seen before. And it was really helpful for them to understand how to manage it with those types of measurements. So I started in my finance career before I shifted over to tech and then eventually to FinOps. Well, that explains why you were able to convert me because <laughs> I, I got my accounting background as well and took another former accountant to convert me. Another thing I think you and the working group do a really good job of explaining there's cost to produce versus cost to sell and show that you can compare that cost to those other types of cost for an application. Tell me more about that. So cost to produce, what we're looking at from an overall perspective is saying, okay, what does it cost 
to get me to the point where I'm in production. So all non-production workloads can be used as a cost within the cost to produce calculation. So I'm saying, okay, to build and test this particular workload, it costs me, you know, $85, whatever. But I have a similar stack with this other team and it costs them $400. What's the difference? Why? Why did it cost them so much more to produce a very similar kind of workload? I need to start looking at what are they doing differently? Is it a labor issue? Are they overstaffed? Is there efficiency in code or not? And so you start diving into these additional questions when you start looking at these type of comparisons. Now, from a cost to serve model, you've got everything in production, right? So this is the cost to really serve. The way that I separate that out allows me to think about, okay, I know my production costs are going to be, you know, at this point, a little bit larger than my non-production costs. Although sometimes I've seen the opposite where non-production is 60% of the overall spend and production is only 40% because you have all these different environments that you're putting your resources into. And if you have sandbox, dev, test, stage, that all adds up. You have to be really efficient about your non-production to save costs as well. I think that's fantastic. The idea of comparing similar non-prod environments and when the unit economics are not lining up between the two. That's a sign to ask questions and investigate. Is it labor? Is it code? What is it? And can the two teams learn off each other yeah. and, and help leverage that? That's where the FinOps is helping drive collaboration. Yeah, you know, I find there's a social context to FinOps as well. It's in that communication mm -hmm. stuff. And how do you build those relationships with the different team members? And do you have a communication plan? Do you have a content plan? What's your frequency of communication? How are you doing that? When you have conflict, are you using emotional intelligence in the conversation, right? Because sometimes right. we can get drawn into a conversation that maybe doesn't work for us, right? And how do you then handle that? And I think the social aspect of FinOps is really critical because that's how you get consensus. That's how you get the collaboration and you work together to get to a point where it's good for everybody. And I think that's, that's missing in some way that we don't talk enough about. I a hundred percent agree with you because there's so many ways to solve a problem. However, there's not one way to solve every problem. Right. And it really depends on the context of what the app team is. What is the architecture of the solution? Can the solution handle a modern architecture? Um, yeah. sh should it have been moved to the cloud in the first place? All questions that are easy to answer after the fact. However, yeah. you know, that doesn't necessarily make things easy for them. I think if you can help drive visibility to all sorts of different reasons that a team may be succeeding or may not be succeeding, that helps. I, I love how you're framing this. You're using these metrics, KPIs, economics to help drive transparency to find those problems. I think that's a really, really mature way of looking at it. That's fantastic. So you're at Box now. We talked a little bit about your career path because you are the chief business, uh, to actually. So I'm the cloud business manager. So, so what the manager. heck does that mean, right? I am responsible for the coordination of all of this information with all of the teams. I also start special projects like sustainability is one of them. And so looking at how do we then communicate that in my role at Box, and it hasn't been necessarily every role that I've worked in, but specifically at Box, communication and the social aspect is super important because there's just so many people 
to work with in engineering when we have thousands of people, but it comes down to a few dozen that the relationship needs to be there to move forward, like to gain acceptance on a, a new mandatory tag or something like that that needs to go throughout all of engineering. Things like that, you have to have those relationships where you can have these rather candid conversations and sometimes difficult and complex conversations. But if you don't have a good relationship with the other teams, it's going to take you much longer to be successful. Right. And, you know, this is all about speed. If we can accelerate together, we'll be able to do more together. And so this comes down to having those good levels of communication and relationship. Yeah. So how many unit economics metrics are, are you leveraging? Are those internal to you or are they used to support those teams that you're communicating with? We're still defining what we want to move with, right? We're migrating to the cloud, right? The challenge is that when we look at um, how we do any calculations or any measurements in context to all the other things that are happening, do we have enough information, let's say, for the migration process to say, I have enough to give you a number that you can action on, right? And you may not have enough data. You may know the calculation that you want to do. You just don't have enough data that's really going to be meaningful and material enough to impact the business yet. And mm -hmm. so we're at that goofy stage where we're in between that being able to say, okay, here's something that we know that you can action on. Here's something that is interesting, like awareness for now, but when we get more data, then it'll be more meaningful for you. So we're at that stage now throughout Box to be able to do that. Now there, there are other teams, business unit teams and sales teams that, that have that number, that special number for them, right? As I was mentioning mm -hmm. before, somebody's doing it somewhere else in your organization already at some level. But specifically the ones that are affected by our FinOps team, we're growing those constantly. But yes, many of them are internal today to our team. So how do you do that? Because you're absolutely right. If you don't have the relationships, you're not going to have any credibility for anyone to accept these numbers. So how, what are the processes you're doing to develop those relationships and mature those numbers? Are you presenting them monthly? Who are you presenting them to? How are you growing them? Yeah. So it started with hopefully as accurate as we can awareness, right? So let me mm. tell you what's going on for you. And those conversations dove into many different directions, everything from architecture to, you know, you have 90% waste on these five clusters. What are we going to do about it? And how can I help you get better at what you're doing? So I see our goal as supporting the business and whatever the business is. And if we can give you information that helps you do that, that's really success for us because we want to be able to make you successful. And so we take on this persona of, let me help you get to where you need to be and be the most successful you can, right? And success is measured in lowering cost, efficiency, a couple of different metrics that we track internally. We do a fantastic job and our team is just amazing. I've been able to turn around visualizations in four hours for a leader and really have it be meaningful. So I'm just so proud of my team. So that's great. You're using the business metrics because some businesses might be in growth stage and their goal may be to get as many customers as possible, as wide as possible. Yeah. Others may be like, no, we're a stable company. We need to focus on cost control or we're going through this project or this transition of something and they just need to do it in a controlled and managed fashion. 
And that's what they're putting their value on. So you're able to use those metrics to help the teams focus and prioritize versus no, no waste is good waste, but some waste is more important than other waste. Yes. Yes. We look at system generated optimization that comes from cost explorer, whatever. And then we have what we call a curated optimization. So these are things that Ooh. we look from an architecture standpoint, we look from a different perspective than, a, than just a formula and say, okay, if we did this, now we can really do this. So that we have what ifs of moving from one instance type to another that isn't on a recommendation algorithm, but it's on our radar simply because we look at our contract pricing, we look at different things and we say, this is probably a better way for us to move forward. And let's look at what that option would look like and what would the savings be for that. So that's more of a curated kind of optimization. And we do, at any given time, we've probably got about 20 of those going on. So we're trying to provide alternatives for the teams as well and not just come up with, oh, right size down, a t-shirt size, and you're good to go. Because what's a term my kids use? Oh, that's so 2010. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so it's gotten to the point where we've developed tactics around optimization and we've got over 150 tactics across nine different categories that we can use for our savings program. We have five direct programs and we have four indirect programs. And so as we go through each of these different tactics, you know, we're able to then shift as the business shifts. Maybe we can't do any physical optimizations because of a business reason. Um, so we'll shift to a policy optimization. How do you change this policy that then now affects how you want to run your services that then lowers the cost of the service? So things like that. And then you can use those different playbooks that you're basically play calling kind of and get buy-in by showing the impact on the unit economics. Yeah, we are uh, in the NFL preseason now. So I think, uh, you know, playbooks <laughs> and calling is actually appropriate. I like that. Wow. That's really cool. I'm really intrigued by having those predefined plays that we're going to go with a policy decision here because they're a pet and they can't handle a reboot right now Yeah, or something along those lines. Yeah. Procurement is also one of the direct one, right? So how well can you negotiate? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I said at the session was don't always take your contract at face value. Everything's negotiable, but negotiate to how you consume the cloud. This is a really important piece and it sets the stage for then how we deploy, right? Because let's say for, our, for argument's sake, you're able to get a killer deal on a certain family of compute. You're going to focus on that family of compute and then build upon three or four different sizes, small, medium, and large in that family because you have such a great deal on that and you're going to see now, of course you'll have exceptions, but it's probably going to be like 90% of what you consume is going to be within that family because you got a killer deal off of that. And so that's, those mm -hmm. are things that you would look at in a procurement model. Yeah. So true. If you don't talk to your procurement team, your partners, if they're not your best friends, they should be your best friends <laughs> in the company because one contract can invalidate the most efficient code there is. A hundred percent. So where's the working group going with unit economics next? We got the intro to unit economics released. It's on finops.org for folks to start absorbing. Where does it go next from here for folks who are just getting in and starting to go up that maturity model? Yeah. So that was really our sprint one end, right? Is to, to produce the document and publish it on the site. So sprint two is going to further define 
the maturity, and a couple other topics that we wanted to bring up for Sprint 2. We definitely want feedback on the Sprint 1 information that's published up there and really get somebody to further define it. But I think it's extending more use cases so people can relate to hopefully their industry. A lot of people are looking for examples of how people can implement it and how people have implemented it to help them do their own process. All right. The call to action is to help if you have examples of how you are leveraging unit economics, join the working group and share those. Well, thank you so much, Tony. This was a fantastic conversation. I appreciate the invite. Thanks so much. Continuing to convert me into a solid believer. I was doing unit economics without even realizing it. There you go. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Hey everyone, the real Mike Fuller here. If I were on the phone with Joe and Stacy, I'd say that the true FinOps Nirvana is listening to FinOps Pod. Well, except for all the parts where Joe's ranting, especially about unit economics, that's all rubbish. I wanted to thank Tony Johnson for talking some sense into Joe about unit economics. And also a huge thank you to our contributors in the Introducing Unit Economics Working Group. You can see all their smiling faces at the bottom of the white paper on FinOps.org. If you want to get involved in our working groups, join the foundation. You can find the Unit Economics Working Group in Slack at the WD-Unit-Economics channel. Thanks, Stacey. You always bring such high energy. And Joe, leave the Aussie accent to me next time. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time on Finos Pod. <laughs>